All right, so uh, I wanted to ask you, I meant to get one of our folks back there to do this for me because I'm an idiot when it comes to technical stuff. I just rely on people that can do that stuff. But have uh, please nod your head if you've seen this Geico commercial. of There's two cowboys, a young cowboy and an older cowboy, and they keep panning to the old guy, and he's like cutting a stick or something like that, and they pan to the young guy, and his belt buckle keeps getting bigger and bigger till the end. It's like this one with like a, you know, a cowboy riding a bronc or whatever. It's pretty funny, all right? So y'all, enough of y'all nodded your head that I don't feel like an idiot telling that story. Okay, but it just reminds me, you know, belt. We know big belt buckles that. And then when I think of build, big belt buckles, I also think of you know wrestling or MMA fighting or boxing and something like that. And the guy comes out with that big old uh, you know belt when he comes in the ring because he's the champion of the world and and he's going to keep that belt or he's going to lose it tonight depending on the case. But they come in with that. So we all know about belts. Well, we're going to talk about a belt today, but it's not that kind of belt. Okay, so don't get too excited. All right, uh, but it's it's a belt that really really matters, and it's called the Belt of Truth. So if you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. If you weren't here for the first sermon in this series, what we call the Invisible World, that's okay. I'm going to continue with that today, and I'll kind of give you a little bit of a background. But last week, we looked at the book of Ephesians, which is a letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote to a group of Christ followers in that first century, and they were people like me and you, and you go, what do you mean? That was 2,000 years ago in a different place in a different time, but still... They were people like us, and they dealt with things, and Paul was trying to encourage them to stay true to being a Christ follower in their culture. And so he's telling them, as we read last week, that you need to put on the full armor of God, because the devil, and whether you believe that today or not, we're going to talk about it. He says, the devil's got some schemes that he's throwing at you, and in order to combat those, you've got to have on the full armor of God, because he says there's a real struggle And that struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people that we always want to blame everything on in the world, whether it's politicians or or whatever, our parents, uh, you know, my wife, my kids, whatever. We want to blame everybody and everything on our stuff. But he says, your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against this invisible world of evil forces that's real around you. Now, that may seem weird to you. If you were here last week, kind of explain that. But if you're hearing that, you go, you know, this is, this is why maybe I don't come to church. This is why people don't come to church, Craig, because you talk about weird stuff about invisible worlds, schemes of the devil, uh, evil spiritual forces all around us. But I reminded you last week that a lot of us watch all kinds of TV shows. We binge watch all kinds of TV shows about that kind of stuff, and we think it's fine and cool. But when we start talking about it in the reality of the spiritual world, we kind of go, oh, uh, that's weird. That's weird, but it's not. And Paul's saying, you may think it's weird, but it's real. And so I tried to illustrate it last week by talking about a guy named Louis Pasteur who was uh, in the world of microbiology in the 1800s, and few people in his time believed of this invisible world of dangerous germs, of dangerous bacteria, of dangerous viruses. And he's saying, it's for real. It can kill you. When you're doing surgery and stuff, it can kill you if you don't do the right things. When you prepare your food, if you're not aware of this, it can kill you if you drink and eat these things. And so through his experiments, he proved scientifically that there's this whole world that we can't see in the naked eye of all kinds of these bacteria and and, uh, viruses and things like that. And so through those experiments, there were new medical processes that keep us safe. There were vaccines that saved and continue to save many lives, and as well as his pasteurization process that makes our food and our beverages safe for consumption. So you may say that's weird, and I don't believe in invisible worlds, 
but they're true and they're real all around us. So Paul's saying, hey, just like the physical world, I'm telling you the spiritual world, there's things going on. And so he's talking to those people. And this battle that he's talking about, I shared this last week as well. There's this battle, this struggle, your struggle, my struggle. Those in the first century struggle with it. And y'all, today in the 21st century, we struggle with this same struggle he's talking about. It's like a battle or a, a wrestling match. And it's the power of God's Holy Spirit, God's character that lives in me and shows the rest of the world who God is. He acts. He has chosen to act through us. When Jesus rose from the dead, he left. And he says, now I'm going to give you a spirit that's going to live in you, the spirit of God to show and display his character to the rest of the world who I am. So we have that struggle of that, the Holy Spirit living through us, allowing God to meet our needs and live through us. Or we're going to live by the flesh. We're going to live by our own self-centered human character, just the way I think things should be. And I'm going to try to get all my needs met, not with God. I don't need Him. I can do it on my own. I'm going to do it that way. So there's that struggle between those two things. And Paul says, it's a real struggle. I've dealt with it. You've dealt with it. You in the first first century dealt with it. And y'all, we still deal with it. And he says, in order for us to overcome this struggle and combat these schemes, and be who God created all of us to be, and to display that character of who God is to the rest of the world, then we need to put on the full armor of God. Remember we talked about last week, I can't do it by myself. As strong as I think I am, I'm going to fail every time, so I need other people in my life, but I need the armor of God on me. And Paul, as he's talking about this full armor of God, and we're going to talk about the belt of truth today, he consistently uses these kind of phrases to describe how we need to position ourselves as we put on this full armor of God. And he says things like this, Take your stand. Stand your ground. Stand firm. Does that sound wishy-washy, those kind of terms? Take your stand? No, it means, all right, I've got to take a stand. No more back and forth. It's like, I've got to take a stand on what the truth is. Stand your ground. You've got to draw a line and say, this is where I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand firm in what I believe. This is the truth, and I believe it, and I'm taking it on. He's saying, that's how you've got to put on God's armor. So he says, I want you to take the belt of truth and buckle it around your waist. That's from Ephesians 6, verse 14. Can we get that up there? Um, great. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, He's talking about a whole series, and we're going to go through these different things that he tells us to have as this armor of God. But I thought, why did you start with the belt? Well, it's in the very center, the very core of who we are, and he's talking about truth. And I think there's no accident about that. I think he's saying at the very core of who we are, the very center, where our belt is, that's where truth needs to be. That's why, that's why I think it's first. He says that truth matters always. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear that. Truth matters always matters. And we live in a culture, y'all, a culture of relativism, where many believed and act as if truth is something that we can kind of selectively decide to call upon depending on the situation. If it will help me, and it will help me get what I want and what I need, then yes, I absolutely want to say truth matters. But if it's going to not help me get something I need, if it's going to prevent me from doing something I want or need, then let's just kind of sweep that truth under the rug and let's not let that out. Is that true, y'all? Is that true in our culture? We see it everywhere. In politics, we see it in businesses, we see it in sports, we see it all over the place. But there's a a truth to that. 
And so let me give you an example that we've heard in the news, and maybe y'all are sick of hearing about this, but I'm not going to say the names, but y'all will all know who I'm talking about. So football season is about upon us, is it not? I went to a high school football game um, Friday night. I'm excited about the college season starting. I'm excited about uh, the pros getting started. Although the Falcons, we got some work to do, 0-3 already, but that's all right. Our starters aren't playing anyway, so... But in the news this summer, I first heard about a school who had a bunch of football players who received some special shoes. I don't know if anybody saw those special shoes. They were pretty cool, but they weren't worth $2,500 that they were selling them on eBay for. And so those players that got these shoes, they said, hey, these are great shoes, and I know I'm only supposed to wear them, but I'm going to sell them and make a profit. What's the big deal? But it was against NCAA rules. It was against school rules. And they got busted. And 13 different players had to say, hey, now I'm going to get suspended for, I don't know, some of them two, three, four, five games. The school admitted they did wrong, and they took action. Seemed like. But there was some kind of truth there that had to be dealt with. A second one, and y'all probably heard the most about this. A coach had an assistant coach who he knew, or he had absolute knowledge that this guy was abusing and beating whatever he was doing to his wife or girlfriend. I'm still not clear on what that whole story is, but he knew about it, but because, because this guy was close to him and because he was close to his grandfather, he just kind of swept that under the rug and let this guy stay his coach, and it all came out. And now he, you probably saw the press conference, he now is going to miss the first three games of the season. Because of that, the truth came out, and now they've had to deal with it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, selling shoes, a human being being beaten. Does something seem kind of wrong with that? A few years ago, some players were selling their autograph, and they got more of a suspension than somebody who knew somebody was getting abused, and they did nothing about it. I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me. And then there was a third case, y'all probably heard as well, where... The coaching staff was called on the carpet basically about the way you're doing things is abusive to players, it's neglectful of players, and a 19-year-old young man lost his life because of some complications that came uh, from a heat stroke that he had. Y'all have heard about that as well, and you think, man, what a tragedy. But truth had to come out of that, and it came out, and the school... Uh, ultimately did take responsibility for that and says, you know what, we take full legal and moral responsibility for that. That young man was under our care during his football training and we did some stuff or we didn't do some stuff, whatever, and now he's dead and we take responsibility. But yet the coach, they're still trying to decide if he should still be at the university. Now, I'm not trying to say what they should and should do because I had all my opinions. I listen to sports radio all the time. You should hear me talking in my car. I know all the answers. Don't y'all? I know what they shouldn't do. But here's the deal, y'all. This is what this is this is what I'm going to see. There is schemes going on. And if God can distract me from the things in my life that I need to worry about, the truth in my life that I need to square away in my relationships in my life, if he can distract me to thinking about college football, he loves that. You start telling what what all those universities need to do about all that stuff and don't deal with your stuff, that's great. Ignore your truth and latch on to somebody else's. And that's what the media gets us to do every day, don't they? Now, hold on a second. I got, I'm just joking. See, we're waiting for it to come in. We want to know the next, latest, and greatest. So in all these situations, we think about this question that hangs over all those different university situations. Does the truth matter? It's just some shoes. It's just a guide. You know, did it really happen? Yes, it does matter. Does the truth matter if I have to confront a messy situation? That's a hard one, isn't it? 
You say, well, yeah, but when that messy situation comes up, and young people, y'all deal with this all the time. I don't want to be the one that tells, but I know about this messy situation. I wish I didn't. Does the truth matter if I might lose my job? Does the truth matter if our team may lose successful star or players or coaches? Does the truth matter if the university gets negative publicity and now kids don't want to come to our school? Does the truth matter if our football team loses recruits and money and possible um, future recruits and success and money? Does that matter? Does the truth matter if it's my favorite team that's going through this? So now I'm meddling, right? And we laugh, but it's true. It's like, oh, well, that, you know, that school, but, you know, but if it's yours, it's like, oh, you didn't know. I don't, you, know, you just kind of sweep it under the rug. And all these questions may be, answer, may be easy for us to answer when it's somebody else's mess like I'm talking about. But we know eventually we will all have to deal with the truth in our own lives in some of these messes. And so Paul's saying to you and I as Christ followers in the 21st century is that, y'all, the devil is scheming. He's doing things in this invisible world that's messing with your mind, messing with your heart, messing with your emotion. And he's trying to get you to make specific plans and to influence you to behave not out of God's character, but out of your character, out of your flesh, where you're self-centered and you're going to do things apart from God. And he doesn't want you to act uh, out of the Holy Spirit, centered on God's character and letting God meet your needs. And so he whispers things in our ears. Do y'all believe that? Hey, come on, he doesn't whisper things. But I guarantee you, all those people involved in all those situations I just meant were hearing things from different people. And it was an invisible world of forces coming together and they had to make a decision about what is truth. You can't tell the truth, you'll lose your job. You can't tell the truth, you won't have your needs met. You can't trust God to meet those needs. Look at this mess you're in. You didn't even do anything. Your coach did it and now you are in this mess because of him. Don't let him get you in trouble. Don't tell the truth. You're a victim of circumstances. You have to take care of your best interest because if you don't, nobody else will. You think that voice was playing in that whole situation? If we're going to show the world God's character which values and loves every single human being that has ever been created, then truth most certainly matters in every situation. And that's why Paul says you need to stand firm and you need to buckle truth at the very center and the very core of who you are because it's always going to matter. That's where truth should be. And so the readers of this letter are listening to him talk about um, this armor. And you know what? They're used to seeing soldiers walk around in their neighborhood. They're used to seeing Roman soldiers walk around when they go back and forth to work in this culture. They see Rome is the power at the time. They control everything that goes on. So they're used to seeing these guys with armor. And so when Paul's going, hey, this stands for this, this stands for that, they're going, yeah, right, I just saw that guy today. I just saw his sword. I just saw his shield. I just saw that that truth, I mean, I saw that belt buckled around his waist holding that on. Now, you may say, yeah, that was in the first century. We don't have that. But you know what? I got a son that's in the army now, and I guarantee you he's wearing something. We have a policeman that I saw walking around every Sunday. He's here to keep us safe. And you know what? He's got a belt around his waist. And he's got some stuff on there that could protect him, absolutely. And I'm glad he has that stuff to protect you and us. I'm thankful for those people. So we can recognize what he's talking about here. And when we think of truth as the central core of that armor for us in the 21st century as protection, I hope it connects with you, even if you say it's a different time. Because even though it's a different time, truth still matters. And once again, it requires us to be aware of this invisible world, of these evil forces and these powers and authorities that are around us trying to get at our very core. 
And if truth is relative, it depends on the situation and does not matter except when it favors my agenda or what I'm doing in my life, then we've been wounded at our very core and we've been weakened. And when the truth no longer matters, we are in serious trouble. And it does matter. That's why when we allow of the truth of evil and injustice to go on and on and continue to have victims so that we don't have to deal with those messy situations because I don't want to make anybody mad at me. I don't want to make anybody get upset with me. And I get that. But man, Satan works on you. Oh, you'll get somebody mad at you because that emotion of mad can kill you, right? How many people die every day because an emotion of mad hit them? Never! but we act like it kills thousands every single day. That emotion I felt killed me. So we let this evil go on and on. And that is why this hashtag MeToo movement has been so powerful in uncovering the truth because people who were in authority and power were taking that authority and that power and they were abusing people for their own pleasure and their own purposes, and that was absolutely wrong, but because people didn't want to make them mad or were afraid, says, I'm not going to say anything, and these people have been in bondage for years and years and years and has left countless victims shamed and empty because of it. But somebody started speaking up and saying, I can't let this truth just sit there anymore. It happened to me. It was horrible. It's happened to other people, and somebody needs to know about it, and something needs to be done. And you know what? It's starting to happen. And it needed to happen. And it needs to happen. And when we read about Jesus being tempted uh, by the devil, maybe you're not aware of this story, but when Jesus first started his, his ministry, when he was 30 years old, it says that he went out into the desert by himself and he was tempted by the devil. You say, I don't believe in the devil. Let me tell you, Jesus will tell you he's real. Jesus specifically talked to him. He heard that evil force all around him specifically speaking to him in that desert when he was by himself. And so as he went out, the devil came to him and basically said he wanted to try and tempt Jesus to do something contrary to the truth. He wanted to tempt Jesus to do something that was absolutely not God's truth, but some other kind of truth. But he sprinkled in some mixed messages in there to Jesus. He says, you see those rocks there? You have the power, Jesus. You have the authority to turn those rocks into bread. And you know you have it, and I know you have it. So do it. Show me. And Jesus says, no. I know I have that power. I know I have that authority. But when it's not in the context of God's truth and God's word, I'm not going to do it. He goes, well, let's go up on the temple. You see this temple? You can jump down from the temple. You have the power and authority to call angels to catch you, and you won't even get hurt. I know you have that power. You know you know you have that power, so let's see it, Jesus. And he goes, I'm not going to take that power and authority out of the context of God's character and truth, why he gave it to me, and use it for a display of power that you want to see. Well, if you'll just bow down to me, Jesus, you know I have authority in this earth. You know I have power on this earth. Your your God, your Father gave it to me. So if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you some of that power and authority. He goes, are you crazy? I know who my Father is. I know what His character is. I know what the truth is. And I will not use that power and authority outside of what God has given me in that context that God has given me. And finally, it said, Satan left him for a more opportune time. He wasn't finished with Jesus, but Jesus was able to stay true to what the truth was and what God's character was. And also, in John's gospel, according uh, there was an account of Jesus 
Uh, right before he died, he had been arrested and he had been before the Jewish religious leaders and now he had to go before Rome. And this man named Pilate, who was the governor of Rome, and he has to go between him and he's basically trying to figure out, what are they saying that you've done, Jesus? I don't quite get it. They're a bunch of religious fanatics. They're always saying you've done something wrong. I don't understand their religion. I don't care about their religion. But tell me who you are. They're saying that you're a king and trying to take over. And Jesus said this, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am, I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so Pilate hears him saying this. The reason you came into the world is to testify to this truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to you. That's what you're telling me. And Jesus is saying, yes. And what was Pilate's response? What is truth? What did he mean by that? He meant, I know what the truth is. You've done nothing to deserve death. I'm listening to all this crazy accusations against you. I know there's no reason I should even be wasting my time here today, but they want me to do something. The people want me to do something. My own wife said, don't mess with this innocent man. I had a dream about him last night. But what did, what did Pilate ultimately do? He caved, didn't he? I will lose my authority. I will lose my power, and I don't want to do that. So he's basically saying, Jesus, who cares what the truth is? I've got to save my little world of control and power and authority. And if that means you've got to get crucified, well, I'm going to wash my hands of it and just say, hey, it's not my fault. And that's the way we operate sometimes. Does the truth matter? Winston Churchill is quoted as saying this, Truth is incontrovertible. Ignorance can deride it. Panic may resent it. Malice may destroy it. But there it is. It just lays there. We know what the truth is. So yes, it matters. And it matters every day of our lives. It really does. And it requires us to ask hard questions, doesn't it? And it requires us to say we need to have answers to those questions, even when it gets messy. And so I need to ask some questions in my life. If I'm a Christ follower and Jesus is living in my life, the Holy Spirit is living in my life, then I need to be able to ask that question, hey, this messy situation now, is the devil scheming in my life? Is he trying to tell me something that's not truth? Is this match up with the truth of God and his character? Or is this a distortion of the truth that he's trying to get me to sweep under the rug? Is his character being reflected in me by the way I respond to this messy situation? Or is someone around me, or am I in dealing with people around me, am I using this opportunity for personal gain? Or for the pleasure, or for my pleasure at the expense of someone else. Would I want to be treated like I'm treating someone else? Jesus said that too, didn't he? Would I want this situation to be turned against me like we're turning it against this person? What is the real truth here? It matters absolutely. And so Paul's saying you need to have that reminder buckled around the very core of who you are to keep your pants up. To keep you reminded of, you need to know the truth. You need to stand firm. This is where I am. I'm not going to waver on that. And it's important. It starts with small things, doesn't it? It starts with little things. And we think, man, I, you know, when, you, when the first time your kid tells a lie, man, you get after them, don't you? 
Yeah, what did you do? You know that's not true. And man, we, you know, we for the first time we think, oh, my kid's not perfect. They told a lie. And we have to deal with that. We have to tell them, hey, you know, you tell a little lie, and then it gives you a big lie. You tell this lie to cover up that lie, and you cover that, and you just start snowballing. You remember those telling those things? I remember. Remember the first time I told a lie, man? It was bam. And I wasn't going to tell another lie, I can tell you that. Because somebody made it clear to me that truth matters always, not just to preserve me and my situation. Tell the truth. And Jesus said it this way about little things. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. That's true, isn't it? It has a snowball effect. At the very center of our lives, at the very core, we need God's armor. We need that belt of truth around our waist to guide us to make decisions. It's important. And God in His great love for us, here's the good news, y'all. God in His great love for us, He dealt with our sin. That was our problem. The truth was, is I'm sinful. I need a Savior. And God didn't just go, man, why did I just, you know, all these people, they, I make them and I give them this life and I, I promise to love them and look after them and they keep sinning. But He didn't just sweep it under the rug. Philippians tells us that He was on the throne and He came down just like one of us and became one of us and did not grasp that power and authority that he had over the whole universe, something to be grasped and to hold on to, but said, no, I would rather save my children. So he came down and says, you have hurt people with your sin, and you have been hurt by people by their sin, and we're not going to keep just sweeping this under the rug. The truth is, it needs to be taken care of once and for all, and I'm the one to do it. And he did, and he died on the cross, a gruesome death to say, this is how serious sin is, and we have to deal with with this truth. And God didn't ignore that truth, but He came down and did something about it. And through His suffering and His death, we no longer are enslaved by that sin. We're no longer enslaved and separated from God, but now we are brought to restoration with Him. And He rose again to say that even death, the truth is that even death cannot separate you from my love. Never forget that truth. Sin and death can no longer separate you from my truth. But let me tell you something. Although he's taking care of that once and for all, y'all. Say it. Once and for all. Absolutely. We still have the devil whispering like, no, he didn't. You're still ashamed of that. You're going to sin tomorrow. You're going to sin the next day. And God's finally going to get so disappointed with you that he's not going to forgive you anymore. That's a lie. That's not the truth. That's a lie. But he wants you to believe that. And, and we need to know the truth. And we're getting ready to be reminded of that truth by doing communion together. And we do this every week, y'all. It's important for us to remember the truth of what Jesus not only said, but what Jesus did ultimately on the cross and through His resurrection. 